I'm Hera. And I'm Aisha. And we are the Mocha Single Mothers by Choice, or SMCs. Like you, as SMCs, we decided to become mothers knowing we'd be the sole care provider and parent of our children, at least at the outset. And the Mocha is for Black. We discuss being SMCs from an intentionally Black lens. You'll connect with all the interesting and fun things about this non-traditional path. Like how you decide which sperm to use, the cold, hard truth of fertility, your reality of dating as a single mother who doesn't have a co-parent to rely on for occasional childcare, and what it's actually like to parent as an SMC. This is the Mocha Single Mothers by Choice podcast. Hi, Pod. So this is our Every Month is Black History Month episode. We are Yay. so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, We are so excited to talk to you about um, Black History Month and do it in the context of parenting Black children, being Black women and Black creatives. We're going to touch on Black culture appropriation across the genres. (laughs) But first... The single, the Mocha Single Mother by Choice podcast is one. Yay. Thank you for contributing to our success. Yay. Happy, happy, happy anniversary. Yay. (laughs) I can't believe it's been a year. It feels like we just started. I know. I know. And and it is truly feeling like it's a regular conversation with my girlfriend and I look forward to our time together and I grab my coffee and a warm blanket because it's winter. But yeah, I have my protein shake this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Not my coffee. Although I think there are coffee, there is coffee in it. So it counts. And we also want to say thank you to all of our listeners, because without you, this would not be the joy fest that it is. Absolutely. All right. So this is Black History Month. And the reason why it resonates with us or registers with us as something that that is different from our ordinary lives is because we now interact with school and the school system and teachers. And so we kind of get to see a bird's eye view of how our school, our school systems, you know, address Blackness in America through Black History Month. And so Hera, are you doing anything differently? How are you, you know, addressing this? What's your school doing? Yeah, I mean, so Black History Month has always felt very performative to me. It's kind of like, you know, the month that everybody runs around, they're like, oh, I got to find a Black person to ask about Black history, right? Or like (laughs) in school, you know, it's the time where all of a sudden teachers are like, oh, I have to, you know, talk about Black people. And it's usually like the safe Black people like Martin Luther King or Rosa Parks or Ruby Bridges, like not, not like Malcolm X or like the, the Black Lives <laughs> Matter people. movement, right? Like, like nothing super progressive, just the safe ones that, you know, they feel like every kid ought to know. And uh-huh. so I don't necessarily do anything different in my house per se, because we're always talking about Blackness and, and people in Black history. And I try to teach my kids about the lesser known folks in black that contributed to black history and teach them that black history is American history. However, as a parent, I am extra vigilant this month because I know that it is typically the month that school focuses on black history. And I'm always curious about how it's taught and how my child experiences this through the school. When I was Mm -hmm. a kid, I remember as soon as we would start talking about slavery, everybody in the class would look at me and I was like, uh, I remember one day I got super frustrated about it in like fifth grade. I'm like, y'all know I wasn't a slave, right? And my parents weren't <laughs> slaves and their parents weren't slaves. So like, how am I like, why are you guys looking at me? Like I have something to teach you. Like I'm learning right, right alongside you. <laughs> Were your parents owners? Slave owners, right. right? So how about we flip that script? 
Well, and like, sadly, many black people in this country were related to slave owners, right? So like, it's like, we're all learning alongside each other, right? So I also think as a parent, being extra, extra interested in what your kids are learning and how your kids are learning it this month is really important because we don't want to have a situation where our kids have to sort of push back on it. I would rather, Mm -hmm. I would rather as the adult come in and be like, Hey, so let's not do this, <laughs> then my kid right. to have to be in an uncomfortable situation. What about you, Aisha? So this is probably, I think I had to start dealing with Black History Month probably in preschool. And so I've always been the one who will ask, well, what are you all doing for Black History Month? So for the parents out there, there are so many different ways that you can approach this topic and and get into your school business. I would start out like, you know, what are you what are you all doing for Black History Month? And, you know, they would give me their spiel. They would have, you know, they would read the usuals, you know, Martin Luther King. And I'm like, well, are we covering anybody else? And so then that's my cue. So in kindergarten, they used to, when schools were open, they used to have parents come up and read books. So I would bring in Ruby Bridges. I brought in the oh, ballerina uh, and the astronaut. Um, their names are escaping me. Have but you I seen would... the Disney version of Ruby Bridges? They did no. like a, a movie and it's actually really good and okay. really age appropriate for kids who are kind of like at the age that Ruby was, which I think both of okay. our kids are kind of right okay. around there. Yes, and I, and, uh-huh. and the thing that's really great about it is that when you talk to your kids about it, And you, and they, you know, they show all the white people who are screaming at her, like the adults who are like trying to poison her food and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I was talking to my daughter and I was like, you know, their kids are still around because Mm -hmm. Ruby Bridges is basically like my dad's age. (laughs) Right. 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 And so I'm like, these people who are on the wrong side of history, you know, they raised little people and they also have kids and and you're going to school with some of these kids. So we actually are not that far removed from it. And so it was an interesting conversation. Yeah. For me, we, we went through George Washington Carver this um, last weekend. Um, my daughter and I, we were, we read are intentional about reading black history books during black history month. And so we read the book about George Washington Carver. And so my daughter's seven. So this is about the age where they start to connect with worldviews and the news and things like that. So we're reading and we're talking about what things were like in George Washington Carver's days. And she was just like, but, but why did, why did, why did people have slaves? You know, why did they treat people that way? You know, they, you know, they were, they were just Black people, they're like, but they're still people. And so having to tease apart that. So I can tell you that I am just enjoying the conversations that we're having right now. So we read the Vashti Harrison little um, legend series of books. We read National Geographic books on, on Black history figures. Sesame Street, as always, PBS is doing a kick behind job. They just I released the musical. Um, on YouTube for Black History Month. And, you know, my daughter watched it five times. She asked me to send it to her school. So that's how I engaged the school this year. I sent them the Black History Month video. And I said, you know, my daughter loved it, asked me to share it, you know. And so then that opened the door for the teachers to share with me that they're watching the Black History Month series on our local free station at the school. And so there are just different ways that you can engage the school to find out what they're doing um, to help you figure out how you might either supplement your kids learning or the learning of their classmates through different conduits that parents can get into the school. So I'm enjoying this time. 
Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, you make really good points about just the fact that you can actually give the school resources and a lot of teachers will actually be pretty appreciative about it. I know that I've brought books in before when I feel like there's maybe not enough books in the classroom that are, Mm -hmm. that have Brown characters. I've noticed that, you know, every teacher my children have had has been pretty happy about those. Mm -hmm. So I would just encourage parents to try. I mean, if you get pushback, then like, yeah, you can go bananas on them like I would, but chances are nine times out of 10 teachers are going to be happy because usually they're in situations where they don't have, you know, endless amount of resources. Yeah. All right. So let's dive into the topic for today. So as Hera and I have hit our one year pod anniversary, we continue to grow in our endeavors and we're learning a lot and we're engaging some really great people and that's good. And we've also encountered some bottom dwellers, but the bottom dwellers are the people who want to come for you for your free labor, right? And it shouldn't be surprising, but yet it still is because we're in this era of, you know, pay Black women for their work. And the very people we need to pay us for our work would want to take that work from us for free. And so one of the things we wanted to do was to put this episode in historical content, both past history and current history. And if you know your history, you will understand that appropriation of Black culture and Black art and Black creative endeavors is a part, is interwoven into America's history. From the earliest times, we know about the slave owners who were profiting off of inventions of Black slaves, right? The most notable was the 1858 case of Oscar Stewart, who tried to profit off the cotton scraper tool that was invented by an enslaved Black Black man who we call Ned, right? This was someone that Stuart held in bondage and was trying to steal his creative work. So I think what's interesting about this is that if you look back in history and how it was done historically, I think even since then, we see it happen in, in probably more subtle ways now, but it's been so socially acceptable since that time for white people to basically take Black ideas and Black thoughts and whitewash them and then repurpose them as their own. And I think because it has been so socially acceptable to do this, many people will do it without even noticing they're doing it. Right. Or, or notice that they're doing it and be so used to people not wanting to make situations uncomfortable and get Mm -hmm. by and get a pass on that. And I am here to tell you that in this age, I just turned 46 In this age, I am not, it's not going down that way. If Mm -hmm. I am uncomfortable and fuming on the inside, trust me, if you steal my work, you will also become uncomfortable in a professional way, Mm -hmm. but you will know that you should stop this. All right. I think it's also interesting how, and we see this a lot at work, you know, and also in, in our podcasting endeavors that people will think, well, because it's coming from two black women, that means that it's inherently black and doesn't cross over to a white audience. Therefore I can take it and whitewash it and make it for white audience. And it's somehow different. And that to me is horrible because we know that, yes, we are unapologetically black and a very large part of our audience is black women. And most of the time it's because they're not getting what they need from white spaces, but that doesn't mean that other women who are not black can't take our message and also get something out of it. 
because we well, also have a lot of topics that are just for women and for people. <laughs> right. Well, let's not talk about how we are climbing the charts in Europe and, you know, in the Baltic states. Um, yeah, that's so- true. I mean, I don't know how many black people are in Eastern Europe, but apparently they love us out there. <laughs> but, 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 but understand the, the optics here, or, you know, is that it is expected for Black people to read medical literature, to consume entertainment magazines that have nothing but white people, and it should be for uh, appropriate for us. And we consume mm-hmm. it. The reverse should be true as well. And it is true. That's why we have the appropriation of Black culture. That's why we have the, the white, white, white bebop dudes dancing mm-hmm. and bopping their heads to hip hop and R&B as they're driving their cars. You know, and so it's out there. Um, so so just because the, the pictures are pictures of black people, you know, it does not mean that it is not being consumed and is not consumable by white audiences. So if you think that by going into black spaces and stealing their work and using it in white spaces that the two don't overlap, you are gravely mistaken and you're in for a real uncomfortable awakening. Yeah, yeah. So I really wish that during Black History Month, it could be a time for reflection for how we deal with things like systemic racism and, you know, to really shed light on, on these types of topics, which is why we're kind of talking about this during black history month, because even though for us, we celebrate black history and black people year round, I do think this month is a really good time for white people to reflect. And for us as a society also to reflect on like how we are treating black people and this, This is something that's near and dear to our hearts because we are black thought leaders and, you know, we see this happening a lot to us. Okay. So we are aware that appropriation of black culture occurs across a spectrum. So we know the history of the 1920s where white musicians were stealing songs from black artists to gain popularity and gain tons of profits in white spaces. So it's interesting how we've seen this throughout history. I mean, everyone has, well, I mean, if you're old enough, you've heard of Elvis Presley and how Uh he sort of profited off of like making his music sort of whitewashing black music. And by whitewashing, I mean like putting a white face on it. Um, Justin Timberlake. So the interesting thing about Justin Timberlake, I have been thinking a lot about like what happened to Janet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And like, I know I'm like totally (laughs) off topic here a little bit, but like, if you think about it, it's like, okay, here's a man who essentially became popular by taking a black black music and a black genre and making it cross over to whiteness because he was white. And then when you think about what happened in the Super Bowl with him and Janet, now, you know, this might age me somewhat, (laughs) but (laughs) I remember when I was watching that Super Bowl episode, I was on a treadmill at the gym, you know, and there's all these monitors up and everyone's watching the halftime game where Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake are together. And all of a sudden, you know, he rips a, a patch off of her top and exposes her boob. Now, anyone sane should have looked at that and been like, his bad. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. not her bad. Like, she got her shirt ripped off and he was the one that did it. But instead of him having problems afterwards, all the vitriol and hatred went to her, which I think is in the fact that he just now, like two decades almost later after it happened, comes out and says he's sorry. But it's only after there's like documentaries talking about what actually happened to Janet after that. And I'm thinking, dude, you 
are appropriating black culture. And in the one moment that you could have been an ally and been like, no, this was on me. This had nothing to do with her. You just pretended your voice was gone, which yeah, that, yes, but I digress, but it's, it's interesting because it's like, to me, that moment, it just kind of, it was a show of what happens. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it, it happens in the music industry. Black culture gets appropriated. We get dinged for it. White America who adopts black culture, they get praise for it. And so st- singer Stephanie Mills said it the best in a recent interview. She said that the music industry wants R&B. They want our music, but they don't want it from us. They want mm-hmm. it from Adele. They want it from Justin Timberlake. They want it from Justin Bieber. They want it from Tina Marie. They want it from Ariana Grande. They want rap from Vanilla Ice. They want rap mm-hmm. from Eminem. You know, it's a tale as old as time that non-Black people stealing elements of black culture they don't want to experience what it's like to be in black skin but they want to steal certain elements that enhances mm-hmm. their very being and presence and that's just not cool and then they bring fame and fortune to themselves and mm-hmm. the people that you stole it from get nothing well so i actually think like it's okay for white people to be singing r&b but the issue i have with it is the non-attribution it's like we're going to take it and we're not going to give credit where credit is due so it's similar to like let's say i'm writing an article and i am referencing an idea that is not mine right i am not i should not be passing that idea off as mine when i know very well that's not mine now it's okay for me to be like I read this in such and such and so-and-so said this because then I'm properly attributing the person and saying, hey, this is a great idea, but just so you know, it's not mine. Similar to how we see this play out and work as Black women, and I think women in general can probably relate to this, but being in work, saying something brilliant in a meeting to only have no one say anything in response. And then five minutes later, Chad, Mike, or John will repurpose your idea and pass it off as their own. And then everyone in the room is like, wow, that's brilliant. And it's okay if Chad were to say, hey, what Harris said five minutes ago, I think is really awesome, right? Because then he's attributing Mm -hmm. it to you and Mm -hmm. he's giving you credit for the idea and amplifying your voice. But that's not how we're seeing, that's the difference between sourcing and appropriation. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So on that, continuing on this topic in pop culture, um, Hera, you've seen the movie, Bring It On, right? It was a cheerleading movie with um, Gabrielle Mm -hmm. Union and Kirsten Dunst. And, you know, it's your typical white suburban, you know, I'm going to be a cheerleader, good cheer squad, right? And, but they were getting their choreography, they were stealing their choreography from an inner city school that, um, from a, a cheer squad that was led by Gabrielle Union. And so the entire movie goes through the angst and, you know, mental anguish that Kirsten Dunn's character has to deal with. Do I keep stealing and keep mm-hmm. appropriating their culture or do I give credit where credit is due? Or, you know, how do we level the playing field so that we are actually competing against the best, right? And so that's that would be my concern with a lot of what we're seeing in terms of systemic racism and institutional racism. I would wonder if I am actually the best at what white America tells me I'm the best at, or are they just subduing and hiding 
eliteness because it doesn't come in white skin. Anyway, I, that well, and then often <laughs> I think the interesting thing about that cheerleading movie is that they just, they just assumed that the black cheerleaders wouldn't find out and, or wouldn't have the resources to do anything about it. And I think that is also so historically grounded in that, you know, if you go back to what Aisha initially was talking about with the cotton scraper tool, here's a scenario where the person who actually created it doesn't have the resources to be able to fight the injustices that are happening. And we see this all the time. We see it with black men and women being being charged for crimes that they didn't commit and then not being able to actually have the proper resources to do anything about it. When we see appropriation, it's usually just kind of sweep swept under the rug like, "Well, what we're just appreciating you. We just like that. Why are you mad about that?" And it's like, "Well, because you're not attributing it." The other really important thing that came up in that movie was that typically like Isis, Gabrielle Union's character we know you're stealing our stuff Mm -hmm. and we're looking Mm -hmm. at you like we're right here. You Mm -hmm. just came in and took our stuff. Right. And then that's where the whole gaslighting comes in. It's like, Oh, Mm -hmm. we didn't mean to, did we really like, Oh my gosh. Like, you know, and then we muddy the waters Mm -hmm. with everything else. What also makes you feel invisible. It's like, they take it from you and then they pretend like you were never just doing it. And, and so similar to how it plays out in meetings, you'll be like, I know they see me. I know I'm sitting right here. Did they not hear me? And so you go through this moment and you're like, am I crazy? Am I not really here? And so that's, that's happening. You know, when you see, when you see people taking your things without attributing it, it's like, wow, like they just pretended like I wasn't even here. And that's where the allies come into place because it's like, you know, I could, I, I've been in that room that Herod described mm-hmm. where it's just like, I just said that. And you're looking around for someone to say, mm-hmm. this was not in my head. I actually said that. And if there's not another black soul or another ally in that mm-hmm. room or another black woman in that room, you're going to be sitting there. Like, I just said that. Right. And it's and not so- that hard. Like, it's not that hard to be a bias disruptor. It's not that hard to be like, hey, didn't Aisha just say that? I thought it was a good idea, too. Right. Or right. like if you see that nobody, everyone just kind of keeps it moving. You could also be that person that's like, hey, I actually really liked Aisha's idea. Can you yeah. tell us more about that? And it's because it's OK to plus one something and be like, yeah, I thought that was a great idea. And I don't see that happening enough, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. And, you know, we can we can go on and on, you know, corn rolls are frowned upon when it's on black people, but on Kendall Jenner, it's like the greatest thing, you know, the beauty industry and their lip fillers and their tanners and their bronzers and their butt injections, you know, it's all co-opting pieces of blackness. Pay disparities for Mm -hmm. black speakers at conferences, on panels and workshops, you know, pay black people and in particular black women for their work. So we wanted to bring this personal a bit. And I know we we mentioned earlier in the episode that this happens in SMC spaces as well. So I will first start by saying I am incredibly grateful for all the really creative, powerful women who are taking to social media and talking about their journeys as SMCs. We're seeing incredible vlogs that people are doing, um, other podcast initiatives, uh, and just, you know, lots of really fun things on TikTok where people are talking about their journey. And I love every second of it. Um, mm-hmm. Let me just clap and wave around my invisible church fan because it's amazing. <laughs> now, on the flip side, one would think that because we are all sisters and we have all chosen this non traditional path and 
it's a really small world out there when it comes to the SMC community that we could peacefully coexist. Mm -hmm. And I would say 99% of us do. And we share ideas and we support each other. But there are, I think there are some women who are very predatory with their approach. And so one example I have, and I think we've spoken about this briefly, how our work is being uh, referenced or not referenced in the academic context. So Mm -hmm. one author who was a white woman doing an SMC book reached out to us and she wanted to have our full names so that she could reference us in her book. Now I made the assumption. I was like, well, do you want to actually interview us and ask us for our thoughts? And she said, no, she didn't have time for this, that she just wanted to be able to grab pick and choose what she found in the social community or the world. And I think it was more like, it felt like I need to check the black box and I'm going to use your stuff. And so we respectfully declined because our thought is if you're not actually going to have the voice come from us, then you don't need to have us be the block, the black box you check. Mm -hmm. And her response was, okay, I'll just find your names anyway. And use what's in the open source. Yeah. And so here's the thing. We do this because we we love it. We are taking our 10 years of experience in, in this area and we are helping other women and we love it. You know, to acknowledge us in, in a book, a periodical, to pay us for consulting, that's awesome. But let us decide what we give away for free. And it's, it, you know, it kind of goes back to if you don't know your history and you don't know the role that you play in sustaining that historical behavior, you're doomed to repeat it. Right. So we go back to picking bits and pieces of black culture that you want or outright taking it. And that's what this woman wanted. Mm-hmm. She wanted to say, can we can I use your names? Can I take this bits and pieces of you mm-hmm. and use it? Thank you for asking. We decline. And then it's just like, well, I'll just take it. And it's just like, but what you won't do is this, right? So we had to do a whole re-educating and she eventually came around to understanding our point of view and she left it alone. Um, But also recently, you know, it happens and it it will continue to happen as we gain ground and thought prominence in the space. Well, I I also think, you know, we will balance by saying we have met some incredible women who have been very supportive. We've had many of them on the podcast who are thought leaders and authors and, and, and whatnot. Uh, And it's, and it's sad because we see both sides, you know, and we hope, we hope that people can be like the women that are great in this space. Uh, Mm -hmm. But unfortunately we continue running into some that are just not as they don't have the integrity that we would hope from everyone. Yeah. And, and trust me, we, we work really hard. We, we work with other creatives. We talk to other creatives and we will praise their work and let them know, like, we see you, you can, you can walk on the same ground that we walk on and cover the same ground that we've covered, but please do not take lock, stock and barrel titles of our episodes, our contact people and whitewash it and put it behind paywalls you know that's just not cool and they say imitation is the greatest form of a compliment but that is just theft 
That's yeah. Nice. So I think it was interesting also is like, usually when we do interviews, you know, we we're very good about making sure that we promote someone, giving them access to the, to the, to the content for free. Uh, you know, just making sure that it's, it's a mutually beneficial situation. But in this one instance, we had a white SMC ask us to help her virtual community by lending our voice and knowledge. And she actually wanted us to the, the exchange for doing the work to give her some color to her space was that she would offer us a lower rate to enter the space. So I was like, okay, let me take a beat. You want us to pay you to give you content? Actual U.S. currency to do work for you. And you came to us with this offer. Yeah, it was quite interesting. We'll just leave it at that. It, it, you it's know. just, yeah, it's, it's sad <laughs> it's, times. It's been but an interesting learning I, I think the, the interesting part about it though, is that, you know, I tell people this at work all the time. I'm like, sometimes we do things that are not good and let's just give everyone the benefit of the doubt to say they don't know, right? Even if they know. But when someone gives you the gift of calling you out and saying, Hey, listen, please don't do this. Sometimes it's actually more important how you respond to that than having committed the offense to begin with. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I think that we've all done things that, you know, when called out, we're like, Oh, wow. I didn't see it from that perspective. But the, the graceful thing to do is just simply apologize and say, I will not do it again, or I will remove this content or I will change the name, whatever, whatever have you like, just, it's so important to, to get out of your own feelings and try not to make yourself the victim in that situation. Because I think that it's a very common reaction that we've seen where, when we do give someone the gift of knowledge and calling them out on this, we do so respectfully. And oftentimes the response we get is tears and, oh my gosh, I'm shaking. I'm so sad. It's like, okay, first of all, this is not about your feelings. You did something to harm someone. So you should be Me. more concerned about the person you harmed right, right. <laughs> and making it right than having that person carry the load of your feelings. Because in that moment, you. even if you're shaking, even if you're sad, keep that to yourself and try to make the situation better because it's actually not helpful to tell the person you harmed that like you're upset that they gave you the gift of this knowledge. So let's give let's give more the gift of more knowledge. So how should you reach out to a creative asking to use their work or their time or their likeness or their names? Tara, how should? Yeah, I think that it's it's super easy. For example, in our case, www.mocasmc.com. <laughs> our contact information is there. Uh-huh. Write us a simple email. Tell us about what you're trying to do and ask if you can collaborate. Chances are, you know, we are very, very happy to collaborate as long as it's not a situation where the person is not willing to give us attribution. You know, we do have consultation fees. So if you're interested in perhaps making your space more diversified, adding some Black voices, we are happy to help, but understand that you are asking for a service that is not free. So you should be ready and willing to pay for those services the same way that you would pay for any 
information that you yourself cannot provide. Yes. Okay. To wrap things up, Black history is all of our history. Um, and as SNCs, we have some notable Black figures that we want to acknowledge on this day. We'd like to acknowledge Mary Beaches Davidson Kenner for inventing the sanitary belt in 1957. Thank you for helping us capture that red wave. And Dr. <laughs> Percy Lavon Julian, who discovered how to mass produce progesterone. So pod, we have him to thank for progesterone and oil to some extent. And last but not least, Marie Van Britton Brown, who invented the modern day home security system. As an SMC with two littles to protect, we thank you. So (laughs) much black excellence. I love it. And alas, if any of the historical references mentioned in this episode is new to you, let the Mocha SNCs remind you that even though your frame is not draped in beautiful black skin, black African-American history is your history too. Until next time. Bye pod. Well, pod, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you like what you heard, share us with your girlfriends. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So tell us what you thought of this episode on social media. On Facebook, we are at Mocha SMC Podcast. And on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Mocha SMC. You can find additional information on the topics from the podcast at our website at mochasmc.com. Till next time, pod. Bye now.